0: Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week we have change instigators, compelling creators and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness.
1: Well, my mind cleverly organizes my thoughts, my memories, my experiences to fit that very ancient myth that doesn't belong to me. And I sign myself up as one of the actors in that drama and I give my life over to tell that story. So no, I don't want to be addicted to these stories in my mind. I don't even want to follow them too much and think why. I want to notice them as the phenomenon arising in the moment right here, right now, just this And I can say, ah, what a pretty thought, what a pretty thought, isn't that interesting? And then I let it pass me by.
0: Are you ready for an enchanting journey into the depth of love and profound presence? Well, in this captivating podcast interview, join Rainer Wilde, the mesmerizing love philosopher and writer, as he unravels the mysteries of love and its profound connection to being fully present in the moment with eloquence and wisdom, Rainer shares powerful insights and heartwarming experiences that will leave you pondering the essence of existence. Imagine suspending your thoughts and emotions, peering at reality without judgment or attachment. Rainer opens the conversation with the thought-provoking concept of epoch. An ancient Greek practice that becomes the gateway to embracing the profound beauty of the present moment. Delving into the threads of our minds, he unveils our archetypal stories, influence, our thoughts and emotions, urging us to consciously shape the patterns of our relationships. Rainer's guidance on embracing emotions, cherishing fleeting moments, and strengthening our presence will inspire you to embark on a journey of self-discovery, love, and authenticity. So get ready to be inspired by this extraordinary human being. Enjoy. Well, a good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, depending on which side of the world you are sitting at this very moment. I have an amazing guest and I'm super excited. We have the most amazing Rainier Wild.
1: Welcome to the show. Ah, uh, Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm excited that you're here. So the way that we love to start the show, we always love to ask our guests So, tell us what inspired you to do what you do today?
1: You know, I, I often get asked this and I, I think that uh, the truth is usually so much less convenient than we wish. It rarely is wrapped up in resumes or uh, glittering backstories or origin myths like superheroes. It has a lot to do with failure. Um, I think the reality is I could probably talk about getting, you know, uh, certified in this or a, a graduate degree in that. I could talk about a background in psychology or being a spiritual director. But I think the reality is that at some point in my life, I found that my own uh, level of brokenness, my own level of broken ways of being in the world in relationship to myself and others was the single most urgent question that I wanted to answer. I wanted to know why I kept doing the same things over and over and over. And I had a pedigree behind me that should have answered the questions. I mean, honestly, I had gone to enough Eastern mystic monasteries and Western psychological ivory towers to understand those things, but I wasn't satisfied with theory. I wanted reality, and I needed reality. I needed desperately to improve the relationships that I was in if I was ever going to achieve my goals of actually just being happy in life, being deeply satisfied. So I'd love to be able to say that it was because, uh, you, you know, something right happened. It wasn't, it was actually because something wrong happened.
0: <laughs> so I always think that we, we always, uh, teach what we must learn. And That's it's right. one of those things that even though, uh, before we got on the show for our audience, uh, I was just uh, saying that, um, very, very diverse background with spirituality, psychology, music, writing, philosophy, and it's almost like this quest you've been on, yeah yeah, yeah? and I I'm curious is... what, what 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 have you found in your quest,
1: yeah. I mean, I think one of the realities was I grew up in the backseat of a station wagon crossing the lower 48 United States with my father, who was a, a spiritual leader of some minor renowned in his circles, and I kind of grew up in the belly of the beast watching people who were passionate about changing their lives in the ways that they knew how. And every Sunday and often Wednesdays, I would hear my father speak and he would extol what what was often described as the resolute urgency of now and using just the power of his own voice, he would ignite souls on fire and get them to come from whatever small or shabby Pew or chair they were in and to stand up and to come down the aisle and to make a new choice, make a change in their life. And I was profoundly inspired by this as a child. But what I would watch play out over and over and over was a failure to make the changes that people intended. And I saw it in myself. I saw it in my family. I saw it in those around me. I also experienced a profound sense of loneliness. The loneliness of being unseen. And so right around uh, the end of my um, at the end of my high school around grade 12, I decided that I would start to travel. And so I, I went to other countries. I, I sought out other teachers. I, I began to actively inquire of spiritual teachers who had anything to share or show. And eventually I started a community because I was so desperate to, to be seen and known. Uh, and honestly, I think that there's a, Uh, a real lack of what I would call mystic community. I think mystics are usually loners and communities are usually filled with very practical people. There aren't very many mystic communities as such. And I was hungry as a mystic who are really the great scientists of the spiritual world. They want to taste God directly. I wanted to experience that in relationship with others. And so for the next decade of my life, Roughly, I began to dedicate a time in those relationships to work and prayer and continued to study with other teachers from around the world, studying Zen, studying Sufism, as well as mystic Christianity. and. All of those things started to coalesce. I began a family. I I then uh, left that community, lost many of the friends, dear friends I had, and then decided that I would pursue uh, a psychological degree. I wanted to see what Western psychology had to show on the subject. Um, And then I dedicated my own uh, life at that point to working with chronically suicidal and self-harming individuals and teaching them Zen-based therapy. Uh, eventually I left that, uh, and became a college professor and taught graduate school. So all of these things were culminating, but the truth is I was profoundly unhappy. And here's why, because you can build the skyscraper of learning as high as you want, but it also masks the basement of shadows, your own undealt with ego, and I'm using those words in all mixed up and muddled up ways, but I suppose the parts of yourself that you have not learned to live in tension with or to integrate, and so those were buried within me. And of course, eventually, what happens? So the skyscraper starts to buckle and fall, and you find yourself there in the basement. And I had to deal with my own self, which I had been running from all those years, I think.
0: Oh, I'm just covering goosebumps. The way that you speak is like a song. It's amazing. And when what triggered me when you talked about basement, I was just speaking about this. Um I feel like I'm doing all of this work as well, all the shadow work and and I still have to deal with my shit on a daily basis. And I think for me, I feel like I was locked away in a basement and I feel like now I've just been given the key. Just mm. been given the key. And it's it's really fascinating because I think that we search external of ourselves so it's what you were talking about getting creditations getting certifications doing you know and and really delving into some of the psychology and all of those things when really we have to go within within and that can be really scary sometimes so how do we deal with those because i know for me i'm a why person so i'm always like why am i always projecting my shit onto this person and that person and and i still On that quest, and I'm sure many people are. So what do we do? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I think that one of the things is we should probably stop listening to windbags like me. Um, we've got to stop listening to the so-called experts. You know, there's a beautiful statement uh, that, that is taught in a number of traditions. Those who know don't say, and those who say don't know. And I, I think there are so many teachers and therapists and podcasters and coaches and all of them are selling us on something. They've all got a prescription for our life, a program, an add-on. Add this to your life, you'll be a better partner. Do more, you'll be a better person. More, better, bigger. And isn't that just the same old program of covering up and adding on? And I don't want to take away from that. I, I, I think there's a number of good things out there. I hope to be one of them. But I think the game of adding on, of layering over, of covering up, Um, I think it's fool's gold. I think the real truth is being stripped away. And instead of living by a standard that doesn't work, even by those people who teach it, try this instead. Discover the voice, the still small voice that rests inside your own soul. Stop focusing on knowing more, learning more, and begin to instead learn less. (laughs) Learn less. Unlearn. Dive deep into the truth of who you are. And I think that's the real quest. And that comes with a lot of patience. You actually have to do what the Greeks, uh, and they had a a word for it, epoche, which means to bracket out. If you can imagine these two parentheses, these brackets, you almost have to look at your life and bracket it off from all of these outside voices. You have to crowd them out to create space to hear yourself you have to reduce the noise. I think that's the first step.
0: Oh. I I'm thinking yes. Uh easier said than done. Right? Cuz mo- it, it is it is, it world, is yeah. sorry?
1: In our modern world especially, yeah. Yeah.
0: So what's your trick? Like how do you go deep? Cuz I know for me when I do it, I get this uh when I just practice stillness, my mind doesn't stop my mind is like and it could be the ego voice that is saying you don't need to go there and you know the last time you went there what happened so I think that we should go this way and I feel sometimes I'm being pulled away from going in avoiding what I really need to lean into so what's your trick how do you do it
1: yeah, well I I love what you're saying and I think you're you're pointing to the the dilemma that we find ourselves in that the very mind the minefield of the mind that we so desperately need to crowd out so we can hear ourselves turns out to often be the very instrument that we use to crowd everything out. <laughs> and, and and I think that also points to this whole mess we use the ego to try to kill the ego and I think that we get into a lot of trouble that way. Here's what I would say. If we're experiencing this thing that the Greeks would have called epoche, that bracketing out, if we're only paying attention to what's happening right now, right in this very minute, one of those things that's undoubtedly happening is our thoughts. And so instead of trying to silence our thoughts or still our thoughts, instead of trying to reduce our emotions, instead of trying to bypass all of these things, why don't we begin to see them? Why don't we begin to, to sit with them, to experience them with a degree of elegance? I remember years ago, my daughter, uh, she was very young at the time, and we got a big snowstorm, huge snowstorm rolled in. And she was standing in our in our living room in front of a big picture window, staring at the snowy street in front of us. And a dog, some kind of stray dog, runs out down the street and leaves its, its prints all in the snow. I turn my back and I go and I get my coffee and suddenly I feel a cold blast of wind and I hear the door is open. Then I look out, I run to the front and my daughter is, is out in the snowy street running barefoot after the wild dog. Now that's a lot of us. A lot of us see the wild dog. They, we see our thoughts We see them come into the frame of the picture window and we're out the door. We're following them down the street in the snow, barefoot. They're leading us down wherever they wanna take us. Most of us don't really have thoughts. The thoughts have us. And so the trick of epoque, the trick of actually bracketing off everything is to be able to sit with that experience and to say, I observe my thought. I notice the thought that I'm having. I'm not trying to, to reject it here. I'm not trying to play a game. Instead, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, ah, there's that thought. And I'm letting the, the wild dog go across the front, the front picture window and I'm letting it cross my frame of view and then I'm letting it go away. I'm receiving not, but I'm rejecting not, as they say in the mystic community.
0: Oh, got goosebumps. That's a great analogy. I use the river where I'm lying beside the river and the thoughts are in the water and just I'm the observer of my thoughts. But I still at time go, oh, that's a curious one. Or I wonder where that came from. Uh, And obviously I have a very, very busy mind. Uh, But I love the way that you've described that. So my understanding is not to reject just and not even to accept but just to really observe your thoughts not try to identify where did this come from and why am I thinking this way is that correct
1: that's right that's right and in part and part and if I if I could say this it's because actually we fall prey to these giant sweeping archetypal stories that uh, kind of like float as though they're clouds in our environment of our mind. And we kind of walk out into them and 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 it rains on us and we get wet and we think, oh my God, I'm terribly unique, this set of thoughts is mine alone. But no, 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 these stories are ancient. These narratives have been going on for a long time and they use our thoughts, they use our memories and our experiences to tell their stories. I mean, the Romeo and Juliet story, tragic. You know, star-crossed lovers. God, how many times have I found myself as the Romeo? How many times have I been in that exact same story and why? Well, my mind cleverly organizes my thoughts, my memories, my experiences to fit that very ancient myth that doesn't belong to me. And I sign myself up as one of the actors in that drama, and I give my life over to tell that story. So no, I don't wanna be addicted to these stories in my mind. I don't even wanna follow them too much and think why. I wanna notice them as the phenomenon arising in the moment. Right here, right now, just this. And I can say, ah, what a pretty thought. What a pretty thought, isn't that interesting? And then I let it pass me by.
0: I love that. And so the um, I, I do that too. So I, sometimes when I say that's a beautiful thought, at the same time, because I'm trying to practice non-judgment, non-resist, non-resistance, and non-attachment, very hard, very hard, yeah, very different. But so what I'm getting from what you're saying, and and this is um, I guess Carl Jung talks about it a little bit as well, is the collective pool of thoughts. Yeah. And then we then tap into those collective pull of thoughts. So this is what you're saying. Sometimes they're not even our thoughts. They're somebody else's thoughts that we catch in the ether. Is that correct? Well, that,
1: that's right. That's right. And, you know, Jung does talk about this quite a bit. I think that one of the realities uh, is that we, we underestimate this this thing we call human beingness. What do we mean when we say I am being a human being? And we would have to acknowledge, and and the philosopher Heidegger really taught us this, we would have to acknowledge that we've been thrown into the stream of being a human being. And it means certain things long before I got here. Somebody threw a party and I showed up late and all the rules have been stated clearly on the door. I simply arrive and through the process of language and and the upload of culture that is learning language very early on, we receive all of these unspoken rules and ways of posturing and positioning ourselves, so much so that we are completely in our personality programmed very very early on I mean it's no wonder why our language centers come online at the exact same time our personalities begin to form between the ages of three to seven years old we are literally learning culture through the upload of language at the same time we're learning our personality our personality is reflective of the stream we have been thrown into and so yes, we are we are victims of the current pulling us along. So I, I I can't be too attached to the idea this is my thought.
0: Yeah, and I love the I love the fact that you even talked about human beings. We are human beings, but we're more of human havings and ha- human doings rather than being in the present moment. And and this right. is one thing that I find difficult myself is that I'm always and I guess it's it's that entrepreneurial mindset like you know you are always going where to you know you, you do think about the future like you you've got a book coming out uh, so you do think where to you know so but sometimes we invest too much time in the future or too much time in the past so being in the present itself takes a practice and I love the fact that you're talking about human being in, in our beingness which is another practice that i find in this day and age a little bit um a little bit difficult you know I did want to go into because before we came oh you wanted to say something
1: well I wanted to say what i what I love that you're you're kind of hitting here is the aboutness of our mind our mind is constantly in relationship to it, it is an aboutness our experience of life is always about for instance when i when I look at my partner and I say oh my god she's so beautiful she's so radiant that is an about statement. Well, first of all, it's about her, but even the word beauty is in relationship to ugliness. You see? And so we can't actually ever have one thing without associating it with something else. I am, I am where I am, but always in relationship to something other than where I am. That's how I understand myself. And so what we have to understand is that our mind is always pinging around, making associations right and left. We are always in relationship. Part of the goal of beingness is to, again, bracket off that aboutness and and step into what I would say is a suchness, right? And so I look at the suchness of this experience, the tree as it is. One time I was working with a, a client I asked him, I said, let's let's practice this phenomenological way of being in the world for just a moment. Let's, let's be mindful of our current experience. Let's practice epoche. And he says, oh, okay, let's try it. I said, well, what is it you see right now? He says, oh, the magnolia tree in front of me. I said, ah, magnolia, that's an aboutness. Try again. He says, ah. So then he starts to describe this tree and he says, well, I see this tree which of course is another kind of name. I said, try again, what do you see? And so now he's really elaborating. He says, I see this this thing that's been pruned a few hours ago and it's about ready to blossom. And so I said, okay, prune is a concept. It happened in a past that no longer exists. Bloom is a concept. It happens in a future that you do not know will exist. What do you see right now? now and then he began to describe it he began to describe the bark and the texture and then he began to describe the the plastic like quality of the leaves in front of him and the way the wind began to whip through them and and suddenly he began to then also describe his relationship to in that present moment with that tree then he began to talk about how it was acting upon him and suddenly he began to weep and tears began to stream down his face and then he pounded his fist on the table and he said god damn it i I've never seen this tree before fifteen years, and I've never seen the tree in front of me. And I think that is Satori in Zen. That is is a sudden awareness of life and reality as it is. And that's what's possible.
0: Wow, that is I'm speechless right now. And it's 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 a similar thing that when I was saying that I'm practicing non judgment, even. If it's a positive thing, like you say, beautiful, I'm blinding myself from seeing, from seeing the full spectrum of what's standing in front of me. I'm actually blinding myself. And that's why, like, I catch myself saying, oh, it's so beautiful. But the way that you just described that, that's so eloquent because it is sometimes we get lost in um, what's really truly in front of us. We don't yeah. see it.
1: Yeah. And and as you say, it's because we're so committed to a certain kind of storyline, whether this is beautiful or ugly. I mean, think about the people we're in relationship to. This is something that, that often is an issue of my concern. Someone recently had the most gratifying name. They said, I was a, a love philosopher. Oh my gosh. I loved that title. I've never been called a love philosopher before, but I suppose I am. I think enough about it. And I've experienced enough failed relationships to probably qualify as a very bad love philosopher. But but I think that when I think about love, when I think about our profound commitment to the stories that we tell, I, I sometimes think that we're more in relationship to the stories we tell about our relationships than we are in relationship to the relationship itself. Yeah. And so I want to tell this story that she's the most beautiful woman in the world, or I want to tell this story that she's just like her mother, or I want to tell this story that she's the one, or I want to tell this story that, well, you, you get the idea. And so we become committed. We begin to look for those things that will confirm the stories that we long to tell, and we crowd out anything that is not that, that's judgment, as you say. And then we miss the truth every time.
0: It's almost like what I'm feeling, it's almost like, and even when you were explaining about the tree, uh, and this is the thing that I do because I, I was just alluding to my busy mind, is dropping to the heart. So as you were describing the tree, it's more like if I was to drop into the heart, I would, the experience is very different. It's, it's like even when you're talking about love, right, when we we the story lives in our head. I feel, I could be wrong, but I feel like the story of Um, I want to tell you about this. It's very much in the mind. And I know you do a lot of writing and I'd love to link into that too as well, but it's more about the experience that sits in the heart with what you're speaking about. Is that correct?
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. And even, and even when I'm sitting in front of my lover, it would be better if I did not say I'm in love with you. It would be better if we said, I am sitting with the concept called I am in love with you and I'm negotiating with the thought that I am profoundly attracted to this and that and this. It would be better if we acknowledge the profound temporality of our experience in the moment. Sometimes I actually do that. Sometimes I sit there and I narrate my thoughts in just that way and I say, I'm having the thought that I've never loved anyone quite like you. And then I'll kind of chuckle and I'll say, and of course I've had that thought with others, but, but sitting here in this moment, I'm noticing the desire to say that that's the only time I've ever felt this feeling. And you know, someone might say, well, haven't you just reduced the profound specialness of that connection? Well, no, my God, it is so beautiful to sit in that moment of reality and have someone's full attention on you. Yeah. Regardless of what happened before, regardless of what may happen again, for them to see you, you know, what did Mary Oliver say about snow geese? She said, um, whether I see them again or not, I do not know. It does not matter. When I saw them, I saw them as through the veil, joyfully, clearly, secretly. And I think that that really is the calling in love and life. Yeah.
0: Oh, Amazing. And, you know, the way that you describe that, it, it's almost like you're not giving it form. You're allowing it to express itself in that very moment because there's you and the partner and what is taking place between the two of you. It's almost like I see this in uh, astrology. You know, when you're you're uh, sitting with someone in their astrology, you've got their blueprint, which is the, the, the energy of itself, and the stories that come out of it comes alive with two people without giving it form. That's what you've just felt like you've just described. So then once again, you're not locking yourself into, it's just this, there's so many different, like a diamond, so many facets to the relationship and the love itself.
1: Yeah. And of course, this comes in such contradiction to the human experience, which is the desire to possess. I think one of the things we have to acknowledge about relationships is that we desire to possess one another, Right. This isn't simply a patriarchal idea relating to, to men wanting to own uh, women. This is also not simply a controlling idea that our mothers wanted to possess their sons and then our, our, our lovers want to possess us next. I feel like genders are constantly telling these stories about the other in hushed circles and private rooms. The reality is lovers long to possess one another. We long to feel safe. And in that desperate attempt to feel safe, we then control and own and purchase one another. We make bids for connection to inhabit one another's worlds. But this, of course, comes in direct contradiction to our need to give, to give voice to that formless thing you just described that we both know is love, that is the mixture of authenticity and freedom is the ability to experience the deep and profound desire for the goodwill of another, regardless of one's own state of being.
0: Oh, So this, I think that when you were talking about, and I'd love to kind of unpack this as well, because I think safety is really important in any relationship. uh, And it goes down, if we can go into the psychological aspect, go into the brain science, neuroscience, of the importance of feeling safe in a relationship. Yet, I can't tell how many people I know into relationships, feeling unsafe, going into a relationship for the wrong reasons, only to find themselves, what am I doing? And where do I go from here? So I I know you've got your book, uh, Love Coming Out. I'd love to really unpack that because I think that relationships is a big topic. I mean, we could spend a whole day on it, I'm sure. Um, but what is that and and the other thing I see a lot in my friends too is they get with someone feeling unsafe one thinking that because they see the potential in the person and they know that because they hang on to that potential that person could eventually become this human being that I aspire to have as a a partner Uh, and then there's that control aspect right yeah. So, I'd love to unpack all of that. What are your thoughts? And where would you like to start?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think that um, when we talk about love, I think that we so often are drawn to people who who resemble our deepest wounds, or at least the environments of our deepest wounds. It's not exactly as though we want to repeat the past. I think that what we want is to elicit familiar emotions. We become kind of specialists about certain emotions, you know. So whether it's deep sadness or, or jealousy or, um, or our reactions to those emotions, we tend to replicate those experiences over and over. We specialize in them. And then we cast for someone opposite Um, You know, I I often think about if I specialized in acting, let's just say that I, I got really good at acting. Let's say that I, I became Batman. I got cast as Batman in a movie. And in fact, I did so well at it that they said, Hey, we want to cast you in Batman too. I say, that's great. Well, they would also then need to cast for Alfred, wouldn't they? And that's kind of how it goes in our relationships that. That the better we get at playing a certain part, the more we need someone to play opposite of us. And so what happens is we tend to attract very familiar recurring roles over and over and over, which has a lot more to do with the things that we ourselves have accepted as us and who we are. I hate to tell most people this, but most people, their next boyfriend, their next girlfriend, their next lover, their next husband or wife, the one who's after this present one that's working out, it's really going to be a replication of the same thing i remember i was working with a gentleman who i had seen for a number of years he had been married it had been disastrous he was so happy to end the marriage after all it had been hell and so when he told me a few months later that he had met the most beautiful woman in the world who was nothing like his ex-wife and wasn't he happy i said i can't wait to meet her so he brought her in and I have to tell you, Catherine, not only was she like her emotionally, she even looked like her. He chose the same exact model. It was uh, delightful. And I had the hard job of saying, Hey, Bob, his name wasn't Bob, but hey, Bob, I think we might need to talk. Um, But that's what we do, we keep on repeating the patterns. And one of those patterns, as you said, is really dating for potential. Listen, I I hold the hard stand that if you're hoping that someone will end up other than who they are, that's not love. That's manipulation. We will subtly reinforce those changes over and over and over, cherry picking the things we like and punishing the things we don't to try to get the outcome we want. That is manipulation. That's not love. Yeah. Date your own species. Find someone who actually resembles who you want to be and who you already are in the world.
0: Oh, I so agree with that. That is so true. And you know, it's it's interesting because I see that and I'm doing this work at the moment where I'm seeing, if I look in my down my timeline, I have these repeating patterns in relationships, right? Same shit, different partner and the common yeah. denominator is me. So, how do we do that? Because I know that we attract what we must, what what we must heal, right? So I, I understand how we do that, and I can't remember if it was it was Sigmund Freud or Carl Jung. He says we end up marrying our mother or father because we um, we uh, we end up marrying our unconscious mind, the yeah. things we have not, the shadows, the things we have not dealt with, and they are con- we are constantly projecting them onto our relationships. So the deep work, which is I'm still going through, the deep work is finding the pattern. Mm-hmm. What are those repeating patterns? That's what I'm, I'm looking at, these repeating patterns. And what I'm struggling with is awareness is great, but then what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. So what's, what's, and I'm sure there's lots of people out there that are finding themselves in different relationships, just different time of the year, Different pattern, but same shit, right? So uh, what do we do? What do we do?
1: Yeah. I think this goes back to uh, that earlier Greek thought that I introduced, epoche, which is to see the phenomenon of the present moment. That's awareness that you're talking about. It's to see what is. It's to be with what is. It's not to shame ourselves, right? A lot of times we just we we, we try to heap, uh, you know, gasoline onto the fire and we just create a bigger fire that's shame let's not shame ourselves let's notice what is let's notice the pattern that's epoche stepping into the phenomenon what the Greeks said that would happen after that was ataraxia this state of equanimity this state of calm that would occur that would allow us to observe our emotions without being swept away by them I've noticed that. I've noticed that across the years, when I could break down the experience of an emotion, I I was presented with the truth that I don't have to be victim to my emotions, I actually am in control of my emotions. In fact, I get to choose the emotions I'm having in regards to a circumstance. I can stack the deck, I can do things, enough things that actually create the likelihood that I'll experience the exact emotion that I want. Over and over and over. We already do this, but it's largely unconscious. Now, if I do all of that, one of the most incredible things that happens is it gives me choices when I observe reality as it is and then describe it as it is with that experience of equanimity. What begins to happen is I can choose how to participate in a different way. And so those choices for me look like developing a muscle that quite frankly, we in the West do not develop much at all, which is the will. We are a culture that is psychological. We're always wanting to think and understand and know, or we're emotion-based. We're feeling, we're, we're, I don't feel like it or I do. But actually the ancients taught us that the will is spirit in action. My capacity to choose. And of course that choosing means learning how to practice containment of self. That I am a closed self, that I have a boundary of self. I know who I am and I take the active steps towards what I want. Now I get that I'm, if I'm listening to this, it's like I'm hearing another language. Like what the hell is this guy talking about? Here's what it is. It's looking at your life as it is and making an assessment. It's creating a response to the situations you're in and not talking yourself into or out of it, but taking the next step, the single next step. It's deciding, declaring, and then doing over and over and over. And when you fulfill that promise to yourself, when you say, I will, and you step into it, What begins to happen over time is that your will grows strong. Your inner character, which is, for so many of us, flimsy and flaccid, actually is able to to penetrate the world. We grow with strength and grit. And, And believe it or not, we need that in love. Because love is a tangle of hard conversations and tearful moments. And moments when the person across from us doesn't get us doesn't understand us, can't hold our truths. And what then? Yeah. We become our own version of the one who cares if they're the one or not. We're the one. Yeah. And I think that is really the radical truth of love.
0: Oh, and you said an interesting word, which, which, you know, uh, my ears went, it was boundaries. So I find that as I'm uh, learning more about myself, um, which uh, you know, fifty odd years old, is uh, still learning, and I think it's it's an ongoing quest. I don't think I'll ever perfect it, but I think it's more so about understanding that one boundaries is something I need to work on in, in relationships with thyself. So even for my mm-hmm. for 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 me, it's like having my needs met rather than being a people pleaser and making sure everybody else yeah. is happy around me, which I also see a lot in relationships. Boundaries as simple as, um, I don't feel like doing that. Like you're talking about the feeling. Well, I don't think we should be doing this, whatever that may be. Um, I'd really love to unpack your book, the love book, the relationship book, um, which ties into some of the things that you even just spoke about, whether boundaries, people pleasing, having our needs met, which is a common thing that I'm hearing a lot about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Part of this particular book, um, which I'm I'm so excited about, um, is is really a truth that hammered home to me earlier this year. I watched my father um, pass away, and it was unexpected and it was untimely. He was he was too young. There was life ahead of him, and. I watched as his wife, my mother, uh, with a relationship behind them of 55 years, lay on the gurney there at his deathbed. And she curled up right there in his arms as he was slipping away, as he was passing. And she's holding him, cradling him. and. It is as though she is willing him back to life. She's willing him to stay there. And I think that as I watched that and as I sat in that moment, what I realized is that love is always against time. Love is never quite itself. It is always a love against time and that love is a thousand unreconciled moments. The resolution is always slipping away and that every entanglement we have is another attempt to escape life's inexorable fate, which is the end. We're only given so many tries and we push up against this like Sisyphus pushes against the rock over and over time and again. We're wrestling this adversary. And just as my mother sat there pulling him, it was as though the plane of his life was taking off and passing to the other side. And she was there on the runway trying to pull him back. And I think that's what love is. I think that love is the profound temporality, the phenomenon, love is that which ends. (laughs) Love is love that ends. And it invites us into the eternity of the here and now. Embracing us, trying to get us to stay in the phenomenon of this moment. So the collection of, of what this book is, and I've I've not actually told anyone until you what the title is, except for my publisher and editor. It's Love Against Time, and Love Against Time is a collection of vignettes and stories that all zoom the camera in, close in, to lovers caught in the tangle of life who are desperately trying to fight against time. Some of them, love is lost. Some of them, love has been given away. Some of them, love has passed already, and some of them are just finding it for the first time. But it's my hope to usher us into the presence of that which gives us life, which I firmly maintain is love, that love is actually that thing that we associate with life.
0: It's. I feel like as you were speaking, all the things I just spoke about—people pleasing, boundaries—it just dissolved. Yeah. Dissolved. Love yeah. has this expression of dissolving the things that have no substance.
1: Uh,
0: that was so powerful.
1: I love that Thank you, you said sharing. that, Catherine. Um, I i'm I'm stepping into the the suchness of this moment and i'm I'm noticing what you just said love dissolves those things that have no substance, and I'm not saying that boundaries don't have substance, I think they're tremendously important, but I think at the end of at the end of it and again i I would just say about my father didn't I love him, and wasn't it complicated? oh. The complication of my 43 years on this planet. And yet, in those final moments, in the day before he died, right before he lost his voice, this great orator who could move a crowd with his voice, but who at the last 24 hours couldn't even speak. And right before his voice went hoarse, I reached my hand down to him and I said, I love you, Dad. And he said kid you're the apple of my eye i think about that moment i think about how everything dissolved all of my carefully planned boundaries all of my need to prove myself all of my my intense strivings was all gone all there was was the fleetingness of love and the hammer of the clock yeah That's the power of it.
0: Thank you so much for sharing. Namaste. That was beautiful. I really felt it. Uh, I am conscious of your time. And I think we're going to have to get you back on the show because there is so much that I wanted to ask. Uh, You're a beautiful soul. The way that you speak is like a song. And Mm -hmm. you speak and you touch people's hearts with your voice, with your words. Uh, I really wanted to unpack your whole piece on writing because I know that's quite therapeutic from my understanding. Um, So the way that we love to wrap up the show, and I really would love to hang on to you a lot longer, uh, but I am conscious of your time. and very respectful of your time. Um, We always wrap up the show with three shiny golden nuggets, which are for our audience. Uh, They could be... um, like tips or how-tos or whatever that may be for you. So over to you.
1: Yeah. I think the first is one that we've already said. It's that epoque. It's that bracketing off. What is right now? What can I notice in this moment? Right now. I can notice what's outside of me, the things I can observe with my five senses. I can certainly... Notice also what's inside of me, my emotions, my thoughts, provided that I notice it, provided I don't simply assume that it is, but rather that I stand as an observer and say, I notice, I observe, I observe the thought that, I notice the feeling of, It gives me a step of distance and it creates that bracketing experience we were talking about earlier to step into the phenomenology of the moment. Yeah, That allows us to experience, to be with, to elegantly be with our thoughts and our feelings. I would say that's the second maybe experience that I would describe is to be with your feelings. Just a few moments ago, anyone who was watching on video would have seen the changes in my own face, would have seen the tears streaming down. And what was happening? I was feeling it all. I wasn't withholding myself. I wasn't holding back. It was as though I was stepping into that memory, knowing it was only a memory, but giving myself permission to feel, quite simply, everything in that real time. Whether you call that a emotion burst or a, a a timed encounter with Feeling. Uh, being with your emotions elegantly, I think, is a beautiful practice. I think the last might simply be uh, one that is hard to describe. It's one that I use very, very consciously. It's simply placing my hand right there on the very center of my chest. As I place it, I feel my own heartbeat, and then I allow a low hum. And in that moment, the vibration of my voice matching the rhythm of my heart, matching the touch of my hand, there's something rather magical that happens. I'm able to be here right now, mind, body and heart. Of course, all of these things are about being in the moment right here, which is the only moment that exists after all. And when you're there, when there's no film or boundary between you and the event horizon of living, that's when you're really living that's the good stuff.
0: Thank you so much. All amazing, shiny gold nuggets. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. You are so mesmerizing. I could sit here for weeks just listening to you speak and I know our audience is going to reach out and love, love, love what you do. So keep doing what you're doing. Where is the best place to find you? Where do you hang out the
1: most? I hang out the most on Instagram, but find me at RainierWild.com. You can get to almost anything through that. You can also find me at Instagram. That's Rainier Wild there also. I have all the relevant links on there, and you can get to anything you want. Um, As you said, I've got a, a wonderful writing course that mixes learning how to tell your own story, to use words to create your world's uh i'm so excited about that we'll have to talk about that another time as well as just a number of other whether it's courses or at times one-on-one mentorship that i offer Uh, those are things that i put out every so often so watch my stories on instagram for that or just watch my website
0: yeah we'll have all of those in the show notes thank you so much for your time your energy sharing your wealth of wisdom your 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 just your expression to us Mm. all like i feel like everyone that's going to watch this show or he listened to this podcast is really going to resonate like i felt my heart explode is probably the best Mm. way to describe it so thank you so very much for coming on the show i really appreciate you and what you do and i can't wait to have you back on the show
1: thank you so much Catherine. it's meant a lot thank you
0: Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on Share Show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on Follow Show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long-time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. Content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.